This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C and this is The Breakfast Grill. On today's show, I speak to Dr. Muhammad Umar Swift. He's the CEO of Bursa Malaysia Bharat, Malaysia's premier exchange holding company to about 900 companies listed through the main ACE as well as lead market. Good morning, Umar. A very good morning, Philip. And I would like to just correct you. It's a thousand companies. Oh, well, because as of last week. As of last week, congratulations. Thank you. I think to date, uh, the goal for this year is 42 IPOs. Uh, six to date. Mm. And it's coming along nicely. Yes. As we look at it, the market is about product. And what is our fundamental product? Our fundamental product is companies. And what we aim to do is bring interesting companies to market to allow the promoters to raise capital and do what they need to do, which is build capacity, employ people, make profits, pay taxes. What we call the virtuous cycle, if for want of a better term. The question here is, how do you select these companies? Right? I mean, you can't really micromanage the selection, isn't it? They just are nature and structure of the Malaysian economy, isn't it, when you pick these? Yeah, I think there's always been a... If you look at GDP and the performance of FBM KLCI, there, there is a disconnect at this point in time. Philip, we accept that. Uh, we, we're underweight on tech, big tech, and that's a conversation which I don't mind sharing with you, that we are having with institutional investors where we will work with institutional investors and engage large unlisted companies that we think would excite the institutional investor as well as the market and say, well, would you consider listing in Malaysia? You're you're here, you're a part of our economy. What would it take to bring you to our market Mm. rather than remaining in a vertical that is going offshore? But it doesn't help if you've got the likes of like Aerodyne thinking about listing in Japan and the United States or the past with Grab, right? It's very hard for you to push that narrative, isn't it? Well, I think it's a question of what is appropriate hmm. for them. As a marker, we accept. If you imagine Grab was listed in our market that size at that point in time, it would have swamped Maybank. It would have been a systemic risk to market. Not saying we don't want it as a secondary listing, so we need to be right-sized. Mm. Number two, if we look at Aerodyne, a lovely company, the promoter needs to maximise value and are our investors aligned to that target value? So we, we accept that. Um, so it's horses for courses to some extent. But in the same regard, we have some very interesting companies that we think should come to market. Now, to your earlier point, Philip, yes, we are the market. How do we build that listing funnel? Now, our target for the year is 42. Now, to have 42 companies, in theory, I mean, I, I multiply it by three for one of a better term. So as we look at it today, I have line of sight of companies being processed, companies ready for listing. Uh, we, we're quite confident. Market is uh, buoyant. Mm. Uh, promoters will get the outcomes they want and they'll come to market. What we're also doing is trying to make sure the mix is what we need. That's right. Because, you know, interesting is a really great word to say. Let's attract interesting companies. Can they coalesce to very clear themes and niches so that Bursa can clearly differentiate themselves as a unique exchange. We look at our economy mm. and look at the policy pieces coming. So we have NETA, mm. we have New Industrial Master Plan, we, we see the pillars there and we begin to align our marketing efforts. Now, some time ago, or previously, uh, it was more of a passive process, if I, if I could, Philip. Yep. Investment banks or IBs, let's talk in acronyms this morning, would do their work and they think. But if you are at an investment bank, you're compensated on outcomes and that outcome is the fees that you generate. 
And so we're competing with other exchanges. So if a promoter can maximise, if you can get someone to market quicker in a different market other than my own, you'll probably go to that market because fees normalise between markets, to be fair. We recognise that. And so we work harder on being more efficient on bringing assets to market. That's another body of work. But we also then look at our policy objectives on a federal level and how do we then bring that and align our marketing efforts. So if, if you look at what the exchanges have been doing over the years, we've been more active. Uh, we're not receptive. We're not. We're less passive, but we're not to the point that we cross the line, because we are the first line regulator. So we have this tension. It is. And so what we do is we work with SC to plan and with MITI and Ministry of Economy and MOF, and we look at so what do we want to drive? So I want to see air trunk assets listed. I want to see blue leaf assets listed here. I look at renewable energy as an exciting opportunity to grow whole ecosystems, mm, the mm. people that service it. And how, what role can the exchange play? So we have a number of different platforms now. I, I, well, of course, we have Leap, known, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. We have Ace Market, where we have the main board, but we also have BR Capital, our joint venture with um, RAM, which is specifically designed to help larger SMEs access the debt market in a more seamless manner. I, mean, I, I, I use the term I'm jealous. I look at the growth in fixed deposits in banks and I want to mobilise it to the market to help businesses grow. And that's a part of what we're doing with that was the, the thought process behind VR Capital. You look, you want to transplant the capital from fixed deposit. And I guess it comes from all the different sorts of in investors we bring in, right? Retail, institutional, both foreign and local per se. And if you look at the flow, retail investors kind of hovering at about 28, 30%, right, going mm -hmm. forward. Can you help us understand the shape and structure of the retail investor. How has it evolved in the past couple of years? Um, our concern is retail investors are ageing, Philip. Mm. Also, they are the aunties and uncles that actually talk to their remisier. Yeah, remisers have an important role to play. Mm. So there is probably, if you like, what we've seen is there's high touch, low touch. The low touch is your online trading platforms, etc. And that doesn't necessarily... Once you're on your app, so it's a wealth management tool. Yeah. And our challenge is to ensure that the exchange is not limited to execution. We want people to talk to us. We want to better understand. And so what we've seen is the, the, the baby boomers have gone through. They have the wealth and that wealth will, over a period of time, will get to the next generation, of course. We want that next generation to also look at Bursa as a way to save beyond mutual funds. And, and mutual funds have a role to play. No issue there. Source of capital. So we are traditionally an intermediated market. Uh, brokers, have a, brokers have a strong role to play. They talk to the investor, particularly the retail investor and remisers. Now, we recognise that we're competing with, you know, edgier products, um, crypto, etc. Mm. Things that are exciting, the, the you know, Instagram influencers are using. I, you, you don't see influencers selling shares, for example. However, to say that, we, we do encourage people to make informed investment decisions. There's a small message there. So I think the key thing for us is to actually begin to understand investors better, which is why we've launched My Bursa. Yeah. There was always this conversation that retail didn't get access to information, that institutional investors had better access to, custom, uh, to investee, investor, investee companies as investors. And we want to bring that experience. And like many years ago, I talked about democratising investing. And, and investing is about deployment of capital and information. And so what we're now doing is we're beginning to consolidate Bursa Academy, Bursa Sustain, uh, create my Bursa. And as that platform, and I do encourage this dear listeners to have a look at the platform and, and give us feedback because it is continually evolving and it will become a platform where you can see your investment. Mm. The thought process that we have is we need to bring in a new generation 
of investors. So I get this right, that it's really important for Bursa to play that role in removing as much information friction as possible, right? Correct. So that actually when you look at it, there's really no major distinction between a retail institutional investor when you kind of assess a company perhaps in this value creation opportunity there. But the bigger risk and challenge is disinformation, isn't it? That there are actually a lot of bad actors that actually go out there and try to you know, misinform or even create disinformation. And I know, although it's not entirely the Bursa remit, that you actually have to work very closely with the SC to try and address all these biggest concerns, isn't it? Because that spooks the retail investor a lot. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. And and, and I would add MCMC as well, um, because they're using SOCMED. The, the piece we have is an informed investor makes better decisions. We seek to arm investors with information as well as knowledge mm. of what they're with. I mean, the simple adage, Philip, if it is too good, it is too good to be true. True. Uh, but yet again and again, uh, we, we see investors uh, and we saw the... Just the, get hoodwinked. Well, there's that big... Com- uh, we had the headline uh, only earlier this week around the crypto scam. That's quite scary, actually. And uh, so people always will, if something looks odd, please call us. Please call SC. Uh, we're on the lookout. We close down uh, and engage chat sites. We join it. We get kicked out. We will warn people and we're actively looking at it. Uh, but there's a need for all of us to be aware. There, there one of the challenges is we, you want a market that is, we have two, two, two pieces, if you will, Philip. We help companies and promoters raise capital, that virtuous cycle, but we also have to recognise you need a thriving secondary, secondary market. market. Now, secondary market will always have a degree of speculation that people follow people. Well, they that's fine, but make an informed decision. Ask mm. questions. Mm. Yeah, so I, I get that right. And as you say, the two core roles are interlinked, you know, raising capital and, you know, just driving that robust secondary trading platform per se. And just sticking to the theme of inf- information here, the, you know, the past few weeks, it has been pretty volatile, right, in the in Bursa. And of course, you have issued a lot of UMA, unusual market activities. It is a challenge sometimes when the companies that are listed also are not very forthcoming, isn't it, with the explanations between the UMA and how effective is UMA nowadays? I think the key is we ask the right question. The obligation is on the company to disclose and the directors, and we'll continue to ask those questions to get to the bottom of the matter. Now, people look at, we look at volatility. And so we actually have ourselves and SE have sophisticated AI, and we look at every trade. We trace it back to IC number or company number, and we look at how it's been built up over time. Uh, We also look at what has been pledged. Uh, as security and make sure that the market is fundamentally so water we always say water will find its own level over a period of time and you're referring to the joint announcement I made with SC vis-a-vis systemic risk which there isn't the market's rebounded we accept that there will be a degree of speculation it's trying to ensure that that speculation is not unhealthy but without being seen to be overly the pendulum swings if you like it can right and I think that that's a challenge institutional investors probably can can have the appetite for that pendulum swing, but the retail investor, you know, feels the pinch quite a lot more, right? Even though the quantums feel smaller. I think the debate here is how do you kind of drive greater governance and discipline in investigating or expediting all these UMAs? Because the perception, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, you, you issue an UMA, the company gives a response, and then that's it, right? It's over and done with. Is that a correct assumption? No, I think that's probably a little bit unfair. Mm. Uh, the team will look at the quality of the response, they'll see the context of it, and then that is overlaid with trading behaviour that we've seen in the counter. Uh, if it's necessary, there's a whole process, and that gets followed up. Now, that's not in the public domain. That's a conversation between the exchange and the company or the directors of the company. We, we don't want to be seen to 
if we're overtly in the market querying, we will then be criticised for not letting the market run and not allowing the market to find its level. Now, that being said, so we're striking a balance and there will always be that dynamic tension. It may not be perfect, but I think we're where where we need to be. The challenge is people are chasing alpha. We at the exchange acknowledge that Mm -hmm. and we want them to make informed decisions. So actually, the best protection is information and making informed decisions. At the exchange, our ambition is actually to move the beta of the market up. And I'm not talking about beta as risk. I'm talking about that alpha, that challenge between alpha where you stock select versus yep. moving the whole beat the market up. Yep. This has been a theme that I've been talking about that I think we have a rare opportunity to reset the beta for the market. Now, if you think about as we reset the beta for the market, what does that mean? Well, my savings are with EPF. EPF invests in the market. So we yes. can move the market up. This is good for Rakyo. And so it's not about stock picking. That provides liquidity. That helps what needs to be done. If you like the alpha, that gives you your volume, uh, that liquidity. What we aspire to do is move the beta up. Mm. So if you like, the amount of coupon or dividend that we are paid by EPF, COP and so on goes up. Mm. It's an interesting balance, I think. And and then I guess comes to the point about level. If you look at the past few years, look, it hasn't been so good when you look at, you know, average daily values for the for the platform. Uh, but January 24, if you say 2021, 22, 2 billion on the daily, moved up to close to 3 billion. Have we hit that level, you think? Well, we, we see it as a start. Now, will we continue that for the balance of the year? I, I think there's positive. We see green buds mm-hmm. uh, for, for profitability. What drives a market? Uh, markets are driven by profit and value. So is it dividend growth or is it value growth? There is a call to action. Are there clouds on the horizon? I'm afraid, Philip, there is. We, we have the problem in the Red Sea. Uh, we, we have we, our biggest trading partner, China, has issues around banking and property. Mm-hmm. Will that impact us? Uh, it's priced in at this point in time. And then we have the overhead from the from the Fed. Mm. Now, in our view, ring it's oversold. That makes our equities... Cheap. I, I don't like the term cheap. But I, I, <laughs> let, let us use value. And there, there's tremendous value. And so, um, we and that's driving the inflow. Now, the Fed is saying, well, second half of the year, and we're expecting a little bit earlier. Now, will that impact trading? Perhaps. But there was a trade where is people say, ring it is undervalued. The stocks are good value. We will have a, we'll get a dividend on these stocks. And then I'll have an FX pick up. Look, this inflow we see, clearly when I hear you, feels like it's quite driven by foreign inflows coming in, right? Because of all these tactical value created. Well, so we're about uh, in a month to date, we're one, foreign investors are 1.1 billion up. Uh, that's significant. Yeah, which is significant. It explains the delta, right, between yeah. 22 and 23. So really the question is how can it sustain? Well, we need to now overlay it with greater granularity and outcomes from our policies and, and show delivery. Of, you know, these policies are very good. And so the conversations that we have is how do we break it up to demonstrate that journey? Absolutely, because the onus is all up to us, right, really, because honestly all the risk of political risk in our country has been moved Correct. away. It's really onus the Malaysian government to really make sure we deliver on all the promises we made in order to sustain this level of volume and activity. And that commitment is made, Philip. And I think it is not just, uh, it's an all of society response. It is not, everyone needs to step up. I, I think it's wrong to say government creates conducive policies businesses need to seize the opportunity to drive it forward. That's why mm. we're quite, that's why we talk about the sales funnel, the, the listing funnel, what's going to come in, who can we, you know, who do we talk to? What is the role of the exchange? 
for example. Mm, mm. So if we look at last year, uh, Leap Market didn't perform as well as we like. I'll be frank. The number of listings we anticipated didn't come through, and that was uh, linked to some extent to the transitional framework. How do you get from Leap to Ace? Now, the, res- the response to the transition framework was probably, it's probably not all people hope for. So we will revisit that this year, and we'll look at Leap has a role to play. Because when I actually talk to entrepreneurs who've used it, it suited their purpose as a journey to Burhard, as a conversation with their suppliers. It served those purposes. But we have to recognise the cost of being listed on Leap is not as... It, we would like it to be a cheaper. Uh, the costs are higher than we anticipated because work has to be done. And it, it's seen in the context of ECF and other product offerings. So we'll do a benchmarking, and that's a conversation that's ongoing. So we benchmark to all markets to make sure there's no regulatory arbitrage and that it's consistent and fits into that continuum of capital. So Leap has a role to play. Then from that, you build or you go to, you know, you may be in VC or PE, but then you'll come to ACE or Main. Our role is to help businesses grow. Mm -hmm. And what we're now doing is we're overlaying that with how do we work with sector leaders? We we reach out to VC funds and we will join them, not just on roadshows, but begin to actually have conversations with, if you like, their network about what they're hoping to do and better understand. So we need to better under, we work to better understand our investor, institutional and retail or big and small. Mm. And we also work to better understand the needs of the entrepreneur. And if you like, what does it take to get them for us to be their market of choice? I'll be frank. Whenever we have a listing, I actually thank promoters for choosing us. Gone are the days of arrogance because they have choice. You have choice, right. Because one of the models we've seen is we'll call it the aggregator model. People come to our market, they aggregate assets, and then they'll sell it somewhere else, uh, perhaps for a greater multiple or a larger you know, economies of scale are realised. So uh, we have to recognise there are so many different ways for promoters to achieve their outcomes. Okay, we're going to take a quick break uh, and then return because on the Breakfast Grill, I have with me Dr. Uma Swift, CEO of Bursa Malaysia. We come back. Their goal to become a multi-asset exchange. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Welcome back on The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat this morning is Dr. Umar Swift, CEO of Bursa Malaysia. And early on, we were having a conversation about how we return the Malaysian capital markets to its former glory. But I'll just focus a bit on the future and your strategy, your 2024 to 2026 strategy of becoming a multi-asset exchange. What does that mean? Thanks, Phil. The key thing is, and we were talking about how do you go retail investors, and I introduced the concept of my bursa, the portal, uh, how we we aim to grow uh, remises. Uh, we have products in that line. So the multi-asset exchange is to recognise that investing is a continuum. And w- one of the pieces we looked at is, is as a disintermediated exchange, we didn't understand what investors wanted because we always have information secondhand. Now, of course, we see from a regulatory perspective, we see what people trade, but that's we don't see that because that's covered by data protection. So that's my reg team. So we now need to create a relationship with Philip as an investor. Mm. And what we've looked to do is we actually reached out to a a group of, uh, we did some customer engagement or investor engagement and particularly different demographics and said, would you invest in Bursa? And they were like, "Uh, Bursa? <laughs> and uh, and it resonated with some, and the group it resonated with were the baby boom, mm. you know, and that was a call to action for us because as we move to, everyone's under cost to income pressure, 
And we see that with brokerage as well. And so some have high-touch models, but more and more are moving to low-touch models, low friction. And we see that as potentially then that doesn't put us in where we need to be as an exchange. We need to have our product front and centre. Um, I talked about being jealous of fixed deposits earlier. We, we are. And how, how would I mobilise that? Mm. And so as a multi-asset exchange, we recognise we need more products and we needed a direct connection with retail investors because mm. retail investors are important. They provide liquidity. That's right. And interesting, you talk about your segment and cachet being with the you know baby boomers per se, but maybe it's a function of the products you have at the moment because I remember you were, you were on the grill a couple of years back with Shaoning and you were saying, look, crypto is totally an uninvestable asset at that time. Now, of course, things have changed, right, with the US and all that, with their ETF cryptos. Have you changed your mind about that? No. So how do you no, no, then I mean, think no, I mean, about No, you see, you this, think about it, right? Yeah. Uh, ETF performance, prices have unwound. Um, You want to invest, be aware. Yeah. Okay. For us, when we invest, there has to be an underlying value, not just volatility. Mm. So is there a product? And so to actually create awareness or to reach out to people, and uh, this is not a planned conversation, dear listeners, uh, we introduced Bursa Goldina, which is fractional. And what we, the feedback we got is people like gold as a product. And then we looked at the price or, if you like, the transaction price. And we thought to ourselves at the exchange, I can create a fractional product that is based in an app that creates a relationship with a new class of investor who's risk averse. So we're not saying it's a direct competitor to crypto or anything like that. It's a different investor class. I know, no, because like, liking something and perceiving some value can be quite a grey area, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and so what we now then do is say for 10 ringgit, you can begin to buy gold. But what we sought to do is bring wholesale pricing of gold to retail investors. Mm. There's a lot of talk about DFI and so on, but real DFI is changing the way people behave. So we're now saying, I'm not saying we're better, but we are significantly better value. So you imagine you're on that and then do you get physical delivery? Yes, you can have physical delivery of your Dina to your address. Mm. So you can have physical gold. At the end of the day, we have gold bars sitting in a vault, but we have minted a portion of that that is available and will be, if people want their gold Dina, we've seen it on social media. People have take, redeemed their, uh, their Dina already. But what it's doing is it's creating a new relationship with investors. So you start with Goldina, you then introduce them to my bursa, which then starts giving, which will then, if you like, give information to them. Uh, so we talk about democratizing availability of investor information. You then overlay that with BR Capital, which is a high yielding fixed income short term product. So it's not a replacement for bonds. It's actually designed to provide mm. liqui- liquidity. I can imagine the retail investor seeing value in something like this. And I presume it's backed up by the numbers so far. Well, to date, we, we've seen the downloads, but it will take time. Mm. And we will, if you like, post uh, as we go forward. We haven't, because we're new to the disintermediated space, we're quite modest in our rollout. The promotions will be starting as we get better at what we do. Because it's important to translate this, right? When we say multi-asset exchange, how does that reflect in the top line, right? How much of it are you going to shift away and make sure it contributes more from the top line, right? So that we're not too rely on trading revenue. Yeah, so at the moment, <laughs> the main engine, as you quite rightly said, is um, securities, followed by derivatives, and then, of course, our Islamic product, uh, BSAS. Yeah. Uh, then we also have non-trading revenue, which is really the data piece. The main drivers for the next two years will be around uh, data, 
BSAS mimics the real economy. So what we'll be doing in, with that business segment is, is looking at the services we offer and the pricing point. Mm. Um, but it follows the real economy. Our derivatives follows because we're a, a commodity-based exchange. So we'll expand that into um, stock futures. Uh, we're building a new platform for that. I'm most excited around well, – I'm excited by many things, actually, to be honest with you. But I really – we really look at data is something that is very interesting. Uh, you look at the book multiples for data businesses as high. Mm. And that's something we've actively grown over the years. So, of course, there's been a lot of talk about the acronym CSI. Uh, what is it? What does it fit? And it's really a reporting tool. But it's a reporting tool that is designed to green supply chains. So it's not just a tool per se. It has an outcome. And the outcome is to actually have better product on the exchange. Keeping on the theme of excitement then, looking at the PL. And one line, line item struck me, Bursa Carbon Exchange revenue zero in 2023. I wonder if the excitement you have over ESG products, even things like Bursa Carbon Exchange, it's not translating on the ground. It's, long, it's a long-tail product, Philip. I mean, the, the real key is we're building an ecosystem. So you build the platform, mm. you, you do your auction. Mm. Um, what we've discovered is we don't have domestic nature-based product. Yeah, you have zero. It's all outside Malaysia, right? And so that's the challenge. Mm. So hmm? That'll take time, isn't it? Uh, that, and we're honest about it. Mm. We accept that. However, it's a part of a greater suite of all. Now, BCX's role is to facilitate the voluntary market. We actually now need, we work closely with um, ministries to actually build an ecosystem. A platform is relatively straightforward. We create rules, we invest, we now have a platform. We're secondary trading. And we have a surrounding area, yes, there is some new, but uh, it, it's not the magnitude we would have hoped. But that also then, I think it's, uh, if, if I may use this opportunity as a call to action, people start needing to have to walk the talk, I'm afraid, Philip. I know, right, because they don't see value, right, in all this at the moment. They just talk about it, but, you know, we attend all these conferences, but really there's no value. We, we've Perceived uh, value. Yeah, I, from our perspective at the exchange, we're far more pragmatic. Conferences are great, but we're now breaking up into actionable items. How do I get nature-based product to market? How do I build demand? So promoters of nature-based projects want to see demand. How do I demonstrate it? How do I bridge that gap? And that's why we started talking about IRECs as an intermediate product. Now, you would have seen the memorandum of collaboration with Throw Energy. They will be, we, we seek to support and bring transparency to that market. The intention is companies understand RECs, but they don't understand voluntary carbon credits. Why? Because it's, I'm not saying it's shrouded in secrecy, but NGOs, so Vera Gold Standard, different NGOs run the registry. It, it's not opaque, but the timeline is long. So yeah. from our perspective, the engagement and conversation that we're now having is we build a Rex market that demonstrates as an intermediate product. It's an interesting intermediate product because from an ex what Bursa has been doing, or BCX has been doing rather, the team has been running workshops around biochar, biogas. We have a wealth of opportunity. So I can help plantation companies decarbonize while creating an intermediate product for the exchange, which is either a REC or a voluntary carbon credit. And that then begins to build demand. So we're building an ecosystem. We appreciate it takes time. I think one of the ecosystems is whether the companies that actually are also on the bursa actually are compliant with ESG-related requirements, right? That's one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? That actually many companies in Malaysia are also struggling to get their head around all this compliance reporting when it comes to ESG. 
Well, that journey started some time ago, to be fair. Yeah. But it's changing as well, right, with IASB all coming yes. in place. And from a Bursa perspective, we have 23 mandatory objective data points that must be disclosed over a period of time. And the intention is to actually build that capacity, bring people on the journey. So there are two things, if you like, from an exchange perspective. Yes, we have listing rules and we can enforce and we give tools. That's why at the end of last year, we've actually, that's videos that explains what we're doing, how to fill things out, what you can do. The piece is, the other piece of that is, as you do that, you would have seen some of the collaborations we have with banks to actually reduce the cost of borrowing should you have a transition plan. And to, to and this is for more for mid-caps mm. because they need help yep. and we need encouragement because uh, mid-caps are challenged. So I, I don't mind sharing that if you're a mid-cap with a transition plan, you could reduce your borrowing cost by 50 bibs. That's real. Uh, that's a call to action. But more importantly, I think, uh, and we're not seeing it from consumers yet, Philip, but consumers will pivot. When they pivot, because p- people ask, well, my customers aren't asking for it. Well, it depends on where you're in the supply chain. Mm. Uh, some some members of the supply chain are, are having... feeling to, it already. Yeah, they have to show providence. Yeah. Uh, consumers will begin to be making better decisions. But it takes time. So from an exchange perspective, we start off with that truism, what gets measured gets done. So let's start measuring and then we start looking at where we can create value uh, and ease that transition, have conversations. So we are not having, it's not a monologue. I'm not telling people what to do. I'm explaining why this is in their better interest. And it's a conversation. We, we take feedback because it's got to be a just transition. I, th- I think that's where also policy here then will play a really critical role isn't it? Because policy then drives consumer behaviour then. True. But at the end of the day, there's that balancing. Consumers consumers can also lead. You have policy can lead. So policy will be around disclosure. Policy will be behaviour. We're already seeing uh, the changing of electricity tariffs, conversations around water. Mm. And that's going to drive behavioural. Companies are, ex- uh, I've often said, companies are actually rather straightforward or management of companies are. If something makes a profit, they will generally do more of it. (laughs) And if something doesn't make a profit, they would do... Presumably less. Thank you, Philip. And so what we want them to do is we want to encourage better behaviour and consumers have a role to play for. Well, on that note, on The Breakfast Grill today, Dr. Uma Swift, CEO of Bursa Malaysia. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.